This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, Susan picked Harold and Maude. And if there's one thing I learned from this movie, it's that one day I hope I'm lucky enough to have sex with a 79-year-old woman. But I hope I'm 76 at the time. Welcome back to another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This, the podcast where a husband and a wife introduce each other to movies that they would not normally watch and then come on here and discuss them. We're in, we're on episode 29. Can you believe that? I can. You can? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Yeah, I can. I, pff, it's a piece of cake. Surprised we're not on episode 129. <laughs> well, we're usually late in getting the podcast out, so I'm not. We, we are not usually late in getting the podcast out. I am usually late in getting the podcast out. So, in my face. In your face. In your face. All righty. All right. So. So. Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude. Welcome to the world of Harold and Maude. Apparently, I thought this was Bonnie and Clyde when you first <laughs> mentioned it last week. That would be an interesting twist. I yes. Have, I have seen the, the ads for it on Amazon a lot, but I'd never, never clicked on it, so... All right. Thankfully. Okay. So I'm, do you I'm have... kidding. <laughs> what? what? No, I said, what? What are you talking Who? about? Who? I have no... What? What just happened here? So... <laughs> uh thrilling podcasting. Yes, right now, it is. Thrilling. We um, just roll, roll, roll right into it. Uh, why did you have me watch this? Um, I had you watch this. I, I had noticed that it was on Amazon Prime, which is what we watched it on. Mm-hmm. Um. I had not seen this movie since the 80s. Okay. And I remember, you know, I remembered parts of it and remembered it being, you know, kind of oddly funny and uh, thought you might enjoy it. And I think it's, I think it's an opportune for me to kind of watch it now because there's something about, you know, the character of Maude and her, you know, don't give a fuckitude. Um <laughs> that uh, maybe I need to consider in my life. So there you go. It, okay. <laughs> what did you expect? What did you think this movie was going to be about? I know I spilled, I spilled the beans you a know little what? bit I don't, last week. I don't week, know. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that there was a love affair quality to it or a romance quality to it. Um, oh, he's falling asleep. No, sorry. I've been outside in the heat all day. It was a little rough. Um. I, you know what? I don't know. I, it's always so weird when it, when I watch a movie that's old enough that I don't know anything about or expect it because you don't really know what to expect from movies back then. I mean, you know, there's not going to be like, you know, a lot of explosions or stuff like that because they, there was very few movies that did that back then. I just kind of expected a I expected a, a quirky comedy. I guess is what I expected. Not quite. You know. What did you think you got? A not quirky comedy? <laughs> no, I mean it was um <laughs> define quirky. <laughs> um well Webster's defines quirky as 
I, I don't know, just something kind of, you know, like off the beaten path. Like I'm um, trying to think of something from the 70s that would have been oddballish. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call like Smokey and the Bandit a quirky comedy, but, uh, you know, something that just kind of has its... Like it's a mad, 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 mad Yeah, some, something, something like something that. that along okay. those lines where right. maybe maybe like a Mel Brooks style movie or, or something like that where it was just... It was it was a fairly serious movie with some funny moments, is what I took it as. I mean, it's mm-hmm. billed as a as a romantic comedy. I don't know that I would call it that, but it was. I mean, it was something that I would kind of expect from the '70s. But I really didn't know, you know, what to think or expect or who, what was, you know, what was coming or anything like that. Yeah. So I was kind of in the dark. So this uh, this movie, even though it was small as it was, um, does get a lot of likes by by other filmmakers um cameron crowe's a huge fan of this movie um alexander payne wes anderson um judd apatow and leslie mann love it so much that they named their daughter maude maude apatow mm-hmm. so um they say that now i think they just you know rolled the dice came up with like some scrabble tiles and make a name out of it I'm glad they weren't the Scrabble tiles that, you know, of the other Ruth Gordon movie that we've covered because then that'd be kind of creepy because we're talking about Rosemary's baby. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea that she was, that she had won the, I mean, I know that she had won the Oscar for Rosemary's baby, but I did not realize that that was her in this movie. I didn't realize her voice. You can't miss her voice. You can't. Yeah. No. Yeah, you really can't. Okay, so let me just dive into a brief summary here. 10-4, good buddy. And then we can talk about la movie. Harold and Maude. <coughs> yeah, I know. <coughs> I, I, unlike you, I don't want to burp into the microphone. <laughs> hey, I've only done that three times that people know about. <laughs> <laughs> Harold and Maude is a 1971 American coming-of-age dark comedy slash drama film directed by Hal Aspey and released by Paramount Pictures. Harold Chausen is a 20-year-old man who is intrigued with death. He spends his days attending funerals of people he does not know and staging elaborate suicides to torture his self-absorbed socialite mother. And he likes to drive a hearse. While Harold's mother tries to find a socially acceptable path for him, including trying to find him a bride through computer dating because the computer dating filters out the fat and ugly ones. Were there yeah, were there even computers back then? I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, big computers. Yeah, like big like at room. NASA. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um she sends him to therapy, she buys him an impressive car and she encourages him to maybe pursue an army career like his uncle. Uh meanwhile, Harold uh it meets a 79-year-old woman named Maud who shares Harold's hobby of attending funerals. But unlike Harold, Maud is obsessed with life. She lives a free-willing lifestyle with little fear or worry about how she goes about living it. Uh, Maude frequently swipes or borrows cars um, when she needs to get somewhere. Um, uh, She's open to new experiences every day, and she's taking to doing things like liberating plants and trees when she deems necessary. Um, Maude teaches Harold about living life to its fullest and that life is the most precious gift of all. Harold and Maude's oddly paired friendship turns to romance, and Harold wants to marry Maude and plans to propose to her on her 80th birthday. But Maude has other plans. And here we get into spoilers and this uh, little warning that we contain themes of suicide, um, both staged and actual. 
uh, Maude decides she's taking her life on her 80th birthday because she doesn't want to sit around and wait for the rest of her life to kind of time out. Um, when Harold finds out, he quickly rushes her to the emergency room, but she doesn't make it through the night. Um, so after we get an extended period of Harold driving around, um, trying to deal with this, um, he takes his, spoiler alert, modified Jaguar turn hearse, um, and crashes it off of a cliff with him, not him, not in it. And that's where he gives up his obsession with death and continues on with life. Um, yep. Yep. So uh, this stars uh, Bud Court as Harold, um, Academy Award-winning actress Ruth Gordon as Maude, Vivian Pickles as Mrs. Chowson, Harold's mother, and Charles Tyner as Uncle Victor, his army um, uncle. And uh, we even got a bit part by Tom Skerritt, even though he is not credited as Tom Skerritt in the movie. And it uh, features a soundtrack by Cat Stevens, almost exclusively. Yeah, I don't think that there's any music in it uh, from uh, that's not score music other than Cat yeah. Stevens. Yeah, I got some trivia based on that too. So, mm-hmm. a little All bit, right. not a lot of trivia to do with it, to, to to deal with this week. Just kind of you know quirky stuff, and uh, we'll probably stick more to the movie. Yeah. So, what did you think about this movie? I thought it was good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I told you, I'm not going to run on by it. Uh, it probably won't go into the heavy rotation. Um, I think the scenes that they intended to be funny were funny, and I think the teens, the scenes that they intended to be poignant were poignant. I mean, I think it's a very well-made film. It was. I can see why it gets critical acclaim, and I can see why there are people out there that have seen this movie 15 times. Um, it, compared to movies today, it probably. I mean, if this came out today, obviously it probably wouldn't garner that type of attention but uh, i can i can see why it was it's a movie that would be studied mm-hmm. you know what i mean I, I i liked it i mean i thought i i don't have anything to complain about with it right. you know mostly i can look at it and go Argh! but but right it was it was fun i think that it was the perfect length back when movies were 90 minutes long i, I think I mean, if that had been a two-hour movie that had been a tough watch i think yeah, it, it gets it gets a little old at that at that length but they didn't one, one thing about this movie <laughs> <laughs> I caught myself watching at the beginning and the opening scene when they're going through the credits. Right. It, it you forget the way that they do movies today, how movies used to be done sometimes until you go back and watch them. The opening credits were like six minutes long, mm-hmm. five minutes long. I'm like, Jesus, can we just get to it? I, this guy, <laughs> I have seen nothing but this guy's shoes and his and his calves for for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I would not. I mean, if you've never seen this movie and you, you you have any interest at all, I would I would say watch it. That's how I feel about it. Right. So a great deal of the comedy um, comes from kind of two sources. Um, one of them is obviously the the stage suicides um, are the biggest comedy punches um, in this, but there's also comedy in terms of this huge disconnect between the people in Harold's life and Harold and the eccentricities of said people. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, it, it's not always a comfortable watch. Um, even though we know that, you know, from the beginning, because we, the move, when the movie starts, as you were saying, you've got Harold coming down. Um, all you see is his legs. 
you know, setting things up, um, walking down through the living room, you know, lighting some candles, but he ends up staging, hanging himself, um, just before his mother walks in the room. And of course his mother is kind of unfazed by it. Um, so we're to assume that this has been going on for quite some time. Um, but it is an awkward thing where you see somebody not reacting to something that <laughs> looks pretty damn real. Um, so that's that's funny. And the way that they kind of constantly, he constantly stages things just to kind of get her goat <laughs> a little bit. Um, and then later when he stages them with um, the three dates he has too, it makes it a, a pretty funny, funny thing. But the other thing is, you know, the the uncle is just a uh, that's a quirky offbeat character right there um the therapist the, the all the people in his life that are trying to kind of mold him into what they feel is his normal and projecting whatever they want for him onto him well it was are are annoying but they are funny it was completely clear that nobody gave a shit about what Harold wanted to be or wanted no i mean when no, when was- when she told him that she it was time for him to get married and that he needed to fill out the paperwork. She started filling out the paperwork. She for, filled out his profile. She, she asked him like the first three questions, and it was like, "What do you think? What do you think?" And it was like, "Oh, of course, I think it has." It went instantly well, to what she instantly. wanted. Oh yeah, it was. It, I, she I was thought that was very humorous. Deeply narcissistic, and her child was just an extension of her. So she had to fix the problem in whatever way she she felt it was worth it. But that was a yeah, that was a funny scene. And of course, during that scene, he stages another fake suicide. But. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't guess I got that because did he shoot himself? Did he he fake shoot? shoot I think you know he what I mean. Faked a lot. Well, he he faked everything. I don't um, know how he blew I, himself back in the chair like that, but yeah, <laughs> still know. pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, let's talk about that because like the 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 different suicides that we see him stage. Um, in the beginning, he hangs himself. Before, before you say, okay. it, what was your favorite suicide that he faked? My favorite one. Yeah. Um, my favorite one, I think since I've seen it is when he, he, he's got the second date is coming to the house and he's outside in the window and he's covered in these white, white robes that was and, my he, favorite and too. he waves and he, he goes off and he gets himself on a platform and he's kind of like going to set himself on fire and you just see the robes kind of covering him up. And the second that it actually catches on fire, the girl starts freaking out and Harold suddenly appears in frame next to her and she just freaks out and runs away. It's a, yeah, that was, and I think the reason I like that one so much is it, it had a lot of better off dead <laughs> to it, I guess is what made me think of it. Um, but that one's, yeah, that was I, pretty cool. I thought it was some pretty, that was my f- favorite one. I thought it was the funniest because you knew what was going to happen the second you saw him in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I didn't expect him to do the, I didn't expect him to do the one where he shot himself. I, I thought he was just goofing around. But when you knew when you saw him in that with gasoline, you're like, he's going to light himself on fire. <laughs> and then when he did it, I was like, holy shit. Right. And, and, yeah, and then he comes walking in. Hey, everybody! I was like, okay, uh, well done. <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely my favorite one. Yeah, too. they have one where he um, is in the pool, um, is <laughs> just doing the dead man's float, just acting like he just drowned himself. And the mother gets in the pool and just kind of does her laps, regardless of whether he's there or not. 
Um, there's one where he's in the bathroom um, and there's fake blood everywhere. Um, what's the other one? Oh, Harry Carey. <laughs> with the actress. Yeah, with the actress. Who thought it was great. And yeah. she tried to she tried to tr- jump in. You said the pool set himself on fire. Harry Carey, he hung himself. He sli- he he chopped himself up. He oh, chopped, he chopped his hand chopped off. Chopped his hand off. <laughs> uh, he sliced himself up. Date. Sliced yeah. himself up in the bathroom. And I want. I feel like there was one more, but I guess there wasn't. I guess there wasn't, but I guess there was a. Um, I don't know if it was the dinner scene or not, but there was a one that was cut where he has his head is on a platter like a serving platter oh nice and then he shows up next to it and picks it up and looks at it and you know um so yeah just a bunch of strange just strange funny little vignettes of of him doing this thing just to try to get a rise out of his mother which he does not (laughs) he he told this he told the the psychiatrist like 15 times that he'd faked death I think it would have been great to maybe have seen more than just the ones that she didn't react to. Mm-hmm. Maybe see him get her, see her, you know, see him get her goat a couple times. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand why they didn't, because you know they wanted her to be so blasé and passé. She just got in the pool, swam right by him. Right. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like when you've got the five-year-old throwing the tantrum on the floor, you just want to ignore him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to give it any attention. Maybe. But. Um, the, you know, obviously the explanation is, um, the reason Harold started doing this and getting obsessed with death is when he was in boarding school, he caused an explosion in the lab, um, and ran away from school and went home figuring he would be expelled anyway. Um, the mother didn't know he was in the house. And when the cops came, um, she basically, um, acted all, what did you just do? <laughs> Nothing. That wasn't me. <laughs> she basically, you know, pretended to faint and kind of made it all about her. Um, and that's when he decided that he just wanted to get her attention more like that. Um, so he kept trying. Um, but I also think he probably enjoyed ticking her off as well. Yeah, I agree. So, um, apparently there is a scene um, in the movie when, um, or a scene that they filmed when she's telling him and she's fed up with him and she's telling him that she's going to go into the arm. He's going to go into the army. She's going to make sure he gets into the army. Right. Um, and as he's sitting there and she's going on, apparently he put up his middle finger, sucked on it, pulled it out and then just kept his finger in her face. And while he was, um, he was a lot more method than the traditional actors around him. And she shook, uh, he shook, um, I, I keep wanting to say Christina Pickles. Um, that's her, her sister. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you're thinking of Dill Pickles. <laughs> no, Vivian Pickles. So Vivian. Viv- Vivian Pickles, she's Christina Pickles' sister. Um, that she played the mother. Yeah, she played the mother. So she he shook up Vivian Pickles so much that, Hal Ashby had to say, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> so he gave him another scene where he could flip her off kind of behind her back. So Now, that's interesting that you bring that up because uh, what I read was that was completely ad-libbed, was him flipping her off when she walked away when he was with the, uh, with the new Porsche hearse. Yeah, the Jaguar. Yeah. And the other scene, um, the other scene that they said was, was ad-libbed was when something had happened 
where he had like had something had where he had faked his death and she walked away and he just kind of looked at the camera and smirked. Yeah, that was ad libbed as well. So who knows? I'm not sure which one. Yeah. So I I I what I read and I read it I think from the Guardian there was a an article about Bud Court's career. Um, he kind of for about ten years. Um, tried to fight off being typecast so Mm -hmm. he kind of did not work a lot between early 70s to to early 80s he turned down a role in one flew flew over over the the cuckoo's Cuckoo's nest because he didn't want to be typecast now what now now unfortunately and you can put this on your list because i do want to see it i've never seen that movie so i didn't know which character they were talking about that wasn't like the danny devito role or anything was it it I don't think it was Danny DeVito. It was another another character entirely. Okay. Um, I was in the play, so I kind of somewhat know the characters. It's been a long time, so. Okay. Do you remember which character it was that he turned down? Uh, it was Mike, I believe. I don't know who played him. Okay. But hello. Hi. I have a cat. Yeah. Next we always have me. cats. Yeah. And yeah, they don't give a shit about this room until you walk in here. <laughs> cat lady. Okay. Um, so the contrasts in, as we were saying, in Harold and Maude are, are interesting too, because you have, obviously you have Harold who's very morbid and serious and depressed. Oh yeah. Um, has everything he could possibly want at his disposable and disposable, disposal, (laughs) He's got a disposable disposal. Do you think he's depressed or is it, do you think he just doesn't, he gets, nothing seems to matter to him because he's a kid that has had everything dictated for him. He doesn't really get to live. He doesn't know what it means yeah, to live. He do, I think that's a good point. Um, I, maybe, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably doesn't because, you know, his, you know, he's, trying to resist you know what his mother wants for him because it's not about him it's about her um so he would probably feel a tad bit disaffected but i can't think that if you're going to live under somebody like that that you wouldn't have some depression i mean obviously thinking about and being that much preoccupied with death and and suicide i think you'd probably have a little bit oh i i agree i i mean you're you're right. I'm sure that there is a little, and that's why he goes to funerals. Right. You know, I I'm not sure what they were going after there. I don't know that they had a handle quite had a handle on depression in mm-hmm. 1970. Do you think? Yeah, a little bit, but yeah, probably maybe. didn't treat it as enough well to get as the it. lobotomies. About that's about how they about how they knew. <laughs> Bojack Horseman reference. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe some shock therapy. Maybe maybe some yeah. of that. But and so he, that's him, right? So he's very, very kind of in his box. And then there's Maude, who's just open to anything, anyone. Um, uh, doesn't give a god, gosh darn, goddamn crap about anything as far as the law is concerned. She doesn't, doesn't have a license. <laughs> she, she just picks up cars, and she has like this magic, magical keychain that's got keys that'll fit almost any kind of car well that's that that's not magical back then um, was, it, was it magical in the 70s they didn't have the different types of keys like they have now you mm-hmm. you could you could start you you could get lucky with a with and run into a car that had the same key it wasn't as sophisticated as it is now 
you know, but people were more honest back then, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I, I can. Plus, I think that there kind of were skeleton keys or master keys, but I don't, I don't know where you would have gotten them from. But I mean, you know, a 79 year old woman walking around with a master key to every car on the. And she on doesn't the block. drive well. <laughs> she doesn't even drive poorly. <laughs> she drives really Some bad. Some of those driving scenes are just uh, majorly hysterical. I just, the. the that's even like when you see the whatever car whatever direction she's going off in in, in the car's not even on the screen you can hear the, mur, mur, you if, know if you take away if you take away the suicide scenes and her driving scenes you remove 90% of the humor from this movie <laughs> and the humor that is left is a very dry very have to look for it type humor right like the psychology mm-hmm. when he's with the psychologist but yes she was a I, we, I hella, she was hell on wheels. I mean, she she yeah. really was. Just <laughs> hit an intersection, hit a far away intersection, and do five donuts. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like a good time. <laughs> Not quite knowing which turn she wants to take, so I'm just gonna go round and round in the middle of the the cross. Yeah, pretty much. Nice, totally nice. So that's a nice. You know, obviously their their contrast, and of course, Maude rubs off on Harold. Um, but I think. It's kind of this no sense of connection, and you know she sees him, right? So yeah. She's probably the first person who sees him for him, and that's what forms the basis of that friendship slash way well, May December romance. She she lets <laughs> him be him. Mm-hmm. She she well, okay. Well, if you want to do that, that's great. If you don't, okay, whatever. Right. So he does things like he take he takes her to. They have a picnic. At a um, demolition at a site, yeah. Oh, that's right. They're that's right. The, they're tearing the at like a, basically a junkyard. Yeah. 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 So, and that's the kind of thing that he likes to do, and she doesn't, you know, put him down for it. She completely accepts it, and that's kind of what gets him back into to life. Yeah. So it's cool. No, it does. I I, I agree. <laughs> Um, there was something I think it was in. I'll have to I'll have to uh, put the link in the in the show notes because I can't remember what it is. But it it this I think encapsulates it really well. Everyone wants Harold to live his life in a way they recommend. So Harold's mother wants him to marry a nice young woman and drive a nice sports car. Uncle Victor wants him to take on a man's job in the army and die for his country like Nathan Hale. And the priest wants Harold to marry someone who can give him children. And the psychiatrist thinks Harold's alienation from regular social interaction can be isolated and coped with. And Maude, you know, Maude is the one who encourages him to just live life um, in a very non-judgmental way. So hey, you do you. You do you. You do you. That was cool. Yes. The, the uncle was a very funny part of that as well the uncle the military guy the military guy with his one arm i don't know that he'd still be in the military if he had one arm yeah i don't he's a desk jockey he's a recruiter does it does it doesn't (laughs) matter i don't think it matters maybe it would be different back then maybe i mean i was very tickled the first time that he reached up on his collar and pulled the little the little rope that he had that so he made his fake arm salute yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah, it was um I mean there was a lot of 
the 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 movie to me really called a lot of uh, constructs aren't the right word, but uh, just this is how it's supposed to be. That was kind of the way things were back in the seventies. You know what I mean? You're supposed to, you know, as soon as you can get married, you're supposed to get married and have kids and, and you gotta, you know, you gotta go to get a job and you gotta blah, blah, blah. And, and, or, or if you don't, or you don't know what you want to do, you can join the military, you can go off to Nam, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the, the scene where he was, uh, the, he and Maude had decided they knew how to get him out of joining the military and she supposedly fell through the. I don't. I don't oh, get he, that scene a lot. That scene was she was supposed to be, and I, I think you know it. It it wasn't as you know, like hit you a hard over the head because you know seventy one you still had Vietnam going on. Um, you're just kind of getting through and past the summer of love. So she he's he's they're setting up that he's mentally unstable and should not be able to go into the army because he's trying to figure a way to get himself out of the army. So he, he's got the, um, he's walking along with his uncle and asking his uncle to tell him stories about when he's in the army and getting extremely excited whenever he talks about shooting or killing or, or anything like that and starts digging into that to build the basis of he's not fit, you know, well, they teach me hand to hand. Yeah, and um, so Maud is pretending to be a pacifist protester, and that you know Harold, you know Harold's really good at acting, so he he kind of gets in her face about it and gets extremely acts to be like extremely violent from her. So it's almost like they kind of made it look like he killed her um, because she fell through the crack. So it's like he pushed her, and that's what got him out of the army stuff because okay. he's just not he's just not right yeah well he he wasn't right to be honest <laughs> with you but you know okay all right so i mean it's it's funny too because you've got you know what you expect to be generational in those kind of movies where you know the uncle's the status quo and the mother's the status quo but it's the 80 year old woman who's almost the hippie in this thing Right, <laughs> which you wouldn't expect. Well, I mean, you know, they they throw that bone out there for you that you find out that she's a Holocaust survivor. Right. Uh, she is probably thankful for every day she gets. Right. Uh, I did not know this, but having the tattoo on your arm meant that you were one of the uh, Jews that had been sent to the Auschwitz family of camps. There were three different Auschwitz camps. They didn't tattoo at any of the others, and they only tattooed you if you were going to be a worker. If you were going to be immediately terminated or whatever, mm-hmm. they didn't tattoo you. They wanted a way to know how to di- how to catalog their workers uh, upon death. So she showed up and was probably ripped apart from her family and given the tattoo, and every day that she got out of that, I mean, why would she give two shits about anything at that point, right? <laughs> She's already done the worst thing that could happen to somebody in their life. Um, so, you know, to have that to have that outlook on life is uh, pretty impressive. And it's, again, it's, a, it's when you think about that, it's the contrast, right? She's seen it, right? Yep. She's seen and she knows what it is. Um, Harold has not. Um, Correct. So it's easy for him to be preoccupied with it. 
because it's not quite real to him. Right. I agree. So that's very what, cool. What do you... um? <laughs> what? What did you think the first time you saw this when he went down and bought a car and came home and it was a hearse? Uh, that didn't... I mean... It made sense <laughs> with everything that you've learned about him up until that point. I wasn't expecting it, but I guess I should have realized it from the type of car that he grabbed. You know that that hearse is a collector's edition now. Is it? It's like the most sought after hearse. Hmm. When they made the movie, it was just another piece of crap hearse. It's kind of ironic just because they, you know, I don't know the reason because I'm not a big car guy. I'm sure it's probably the way it was made or what it could do. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of funny that they went from that to the Jaguar hearse. Yeah. Which, let's face it, this guy did this with a blowtorch. He he put a whole car together and painted it and everything with a blowtorch. <laughs> um, that there is no, that was the only one of those that was ever made. They made it specifically for this film and they did, they li- literally crashed it at the end. They They pushed it off the, the lift so that or the cliff so it doesn't uh it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist anymore but i just thought it was i thought it was funny and it was a great joke it when, was a great joke when she when she pulls up to give him a ride <laughs> this is my hearse oh well then you can drive me home it <laughs> <laughs> was there was some there was some pretty cool one liners in it uh, i'll probably hit a couple of them up on the favorite scenes but you know I I think that uh, I don't know how I feel about the dialogue. I feel like the, the dialogue kind of got convoluted at times, just because I feel like they were just trying to fill space with between him and her. A couple of the scenes were, were really meaningful, like the scene where he was they were on the beach and they saw the seagulls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the scene where she was talking to him about how she used to really like the paintings, but now she doesn't. But you know, blah, and the flowers and things like that. So. You know, but but there was a lot of things that were just said between people that you're kind of like, uh, really? Well, some of it is, I think, in the worlds where you've got, you know, Harold existing with his uncle or his mother and stuff like that. I think it's supposed to feel stilted and disconnected. Um, you see, even like the mother doesn't see her son, but she doesn't see anybody else either. Like when, when she's got the dates coming over to the house to meet Harold, she gets, she always gets something wrong. She calls him by the wrong name or doesn't, doesn't give a shit that this girl is in charge of the entire Southeast getting drained. You know what I mean? That was, that was a pretty big position back in 1970. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, so she, you know, doesn't get their name right doesn't get their what their job is right she doesn't she's not listening to them either um so that's kind of that disconnect if i had to watch this again i'd probably put closed captioning on because there's a lot i think of ruth gordon's lines that i didn't hear all the way through um and we had it pretty loud i know i just (laughs) (laughs) i'm just getting old i guess i guess um so when she when she was talking about um, when they were looking at the umbrella that she had, she said she used to carry it with her for self defense when they used to, when she used to protest, and she talked about um, what I presume was her um, a love interest of hers probably before the war started, and then they got separated at the camp or something like that. But I missed a lot of that detail. Um, she was talking about using it when she crossed picket lines and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, 
which I'm trying to think that would probably have been because this was this was seventy, so she would have been fifty at Auschwitz, mm. right? Because that's thirty years, forty-one to forty-five. So she would have been fifty. So she was probably talking about picketing lines for with the form of, um, you know, the unions and and mm-hmm. the, the in the industrial revolution and and then things like that, um, which also means that she wasn't in the United States at that time because there weren't. I mean, no Jews were taken from the United States. She would have had to have been living in you know Europe, which would make sense with the picketing and. Well, and she said she was from Vienna. Yep. As if she was a, a child in Vienna. Yep. The protests and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that would that would make sense for her. But I think what she was talking about at that point was that she used to have to cross the picket lines and things like that, and then people would get angry with her and then she'd use her umbrella for self defense. Right. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of I I didn't didn't quite get We it. you know, we probably should watch these with the with the closed captions on. Mm-hmm. My problem is that when I watch a movie, like I've told you before, the first time that I've if I if I'm watching a movie the first time I want to see the movie, when the closed captions are on, I can't not read them. Mm-hmm. I focus I I love to read. So all I do is read the captions and I'm like, What what did he do? Why why are we laughing? I it, it just yeah. it's well it's I think some of it too is you know, when you're watching a comedy too, you want the um the punchline to arrive with everything else that's being given to you by the actor, yeah. facial expression, um, tone of voice, things like that. And when you're reading closed caption with a comedy, that's very hard to do because the punchline usually comes up before the actor even says it. Um, and if you're a fast reader, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so that's, that's, I'm that. a fast reader. I can read almost four words a minute now <laughs> and understand and understand two of them. <laughs> Um, one of the great scenes, too, is with the scene that does have Tom Skerritt in it, where they are um, liberating a tree from a courthouse property because it's dying. So she wants to go plant it in the woods. And she's driving a El Camino with the tree in the back, and she just motors on through the, the toll booth, and uh, Tom Skerritt gets on his motorcycle and goes to pull, pull her over. Um, and she pulls over and he asks for her license and she said, I don't believe in them. So I don't have one, <laughs> which could, would get anybody else arrested right then and there. You could probably get away with that today. Right. <laughs> um, um, and then she drives away on him cause she gets bored with the conversation. Um, again, it's just like this, you know, you, you assume this little old lady's going to like adhere to the laws and she just doesn't give a shit so she ends up driving in circles around him on his motorcycle until i think the kickstand comes down and he can't get out get out of the way and she gets that was kind of something that i don't understand why they gave her that characteristic i know that they wanted to do that to be funny but i can understand maybe not caring about you know i'm a 79 year old woman and i'm not supposed to be doing this or things like that but just like her blatant disregard for the law i mean i find it Who's got time for that? I very yeah, very I I find I have a hard time believing that she's just completely disregarded every law in the world cuz she was driving without a license, she was driving without insurance, she wasn't avoiding traffic control signals, she was doing donuts in the street, she was stealing cars, she wasn't paying tolls. I mean, at some point you've got to say, "Hold on, I you know, cuz I mean, I love life, so I'm just going to go steal somebody's car." I mean, fuck them, right? 
It's just a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I get it because they wanted. They wanted. They were. They were really trying to sell that. That I just live in the moment type thing, and I understand it. But I also that's like. I mean, she's an anarchist for Christ's sake. She's just <laughs> fuck it. She's stealing trees from in front of courthouses, d- driving cars up on curbs. I mean, just what you know what I mean. And the funny thing is, is when she comes has to come back the other way, the the cop sees her, pulls her over. And he's he she gets him so befuddled by how she's acting that he just needs to sit down. And as he sits down in her car to try to figure out what the hell to do, she goes and she steals his his motorcycle and tells Harold to get on the back and grab the shovel because she borrowed the shovel from somebody and she wanted to make sure she got that back. So we can steal somebody's car. But we better make damn sure we give the shovel back. I mean, it's it's silly, but I mean, it's funny. It's there for it's there for comedic effect. A uh, little bit of trivia about that scene when they were filming that scene on the motorcycle. He actually hit himself in the head with yeah, a shovel on accident, he did. Yeah. and he ignored it because they because they, they wanted to keep the scene. Uh, uh, something else that's funny. Um, Ruth Gordon did not know how to drive. That's apparent. No, no, she did not. She did not know how to drive. In actuality, so it was could, a stunt driver. It, it was a her. stunt driver. Anytime you saw her behind the wheel, the car was on a dolly being towed. Oh, really? She did not know how to drive. That's funny. That right? That's so funny. Well, you know what? The other interesting thing is, is Tom Skerritt um, was in Mash with Bud Court. Bud Court had a very small tiny role in mash the movie, the movie. mash okay and see, that's a movie i've never seen that i want to see too and um sh- i'm giving you ammo for your list here babe. okay um so here i'll write them down <laughs> so he recommended to hal ashby to cast bud court for this this movie so his well, small role must have been like a thank you i guess <laughs> his small role was a last minute casting because the person oh, that they it? the person that they were going to have play that part broke their leg oh wow and apparently Tom Skerritt knew how to drive a motorcycle, and the rest is history. I had no idea that was Tom Skerritt. Not a clue. And I've seen Top Gun like a thousand times. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it that many times. Uh, my mother has. I but I, I seen it a thousand times. Not. I probably have because my mother watched it that many times. Um, I, I had no clue. I didn't, I, I didn't like the way that they portrayed him as like a dipshit. You know what I mean? Like they had four policemen in the movie, and they were all stupid. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, hey, here's here's a funny joke. Let's just have the Keystone Cops make cameos. I don't know if it was that they played it off. It's stupid. I think it was really more of the fact that you've got this little old lady that you, you know, ass- I mean, again, it's a it's about assumptions, right? They all assume that she's just this little nice old lady, and then she just because uh, you're t- the other scene you're talking about is when she discovers this tree that she wants to liberate out in front of the courthouse. Um, and when she had stopped to to see the tree, she basically just took whatever car she was driving at that time and it took it up and over the sidewalk and walked out of it and walked away from it. So the cops are like, what the hell is this? And they're all kind of like trying to figure out their plan of attack. So she walks really nicely and sweetly by and she's like, oh, oh, that's a shame, you know, kind of a thing. And she's like, well, is that car parked correctly? And they said, yeah. And it was like a... And it was a Camaro or something. It, it was like. it was either a Camaro or it was a, it was a, a Mach One. So she's like, oh, "Okay, good," and she gets into it, and she just freaking hauls ass right she, through a stop sign. She has like eight feet of rubber <laughs> taken off. I, I I think I you're right there, but with with Tom Skerritt, 
he's trying to chase them and they made him look inept mm-hmm. on the motorcycle. Like he couldn't remember because he was like struggling. Like that was the reason that he couldn't get going. You remember? That? Well, it looked like his kickstand was down or something like that. Yeah. So when he went to jump on it, he didn't, he didn't take the kickstand. I don't know. I don't it's know. Still, it still was funny. Yeah. Okay. Hey, look, bottom line, that tree's going to make it. <laughs> Do you, uh, you know who they wanted to play Harold? One of the people that was considered? No. Elton John. Oh, really? Yeah. I know that they wanted Elton John to... They they put it out there for him to do the soundtrack first before they got Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens was a recommendation of Elton John's. Oh, really? Elton John was in negotiations to do the role, and it kind of fell through. And then when he wasn't going to do the role, he decided not to do the music, so he recommended it to Cat Stevens. They hired Cat Stevens, and he was supposed to write all original music and original score. And he could not. He could not fulfill the obligation, so they just used stuff off of his movies. He did write two original songs. Yep. If you want to sing out, sing out, and whatever song is in the credits. Uh, yeah, it's called... Um, it's called oh. Butterfly Kisses. No. It's, it's called mm, Rock and Roll All Night. No. It's Don't called Be Shy. Running With the Devil. Oh. It's called Don't Be Shy. Yeah. I remember that song. He's so shy. Do, no, do, no, do, no, do. no. What? No? No. no. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm positive. I what did I tell you? What did I tell you when that movie kicked off? Uh, why you know like Cat Stevens? <laughs> um, you know what? It's not that I don't like Cat Stevens. It's just that every Cat Stevens song sounds exactly the same to me. Whenever I hear a Cat Stevens song, I kind of tap my foot. You know, I mean, it, he's he's very soothing, mm-hmm. but. Every, it might as well be the same song over and over and over to me. He, everything he does sounds exactly the same to me. And even though that might work for a lot of people, I, I, I sometimes it just it just drives me crazy. Like I will acknowledge like Alice in Chains, like their first two albums are good, but I cannot listen to both of them in a row because every song sounds exactly the same. Hmm. Yeah. But, well, I, I feel the same way about Joan Jett. I mean, but, you, but you're right. You're right. I love rock and roll. Yeah. I fought the law and the. I mean, it's it's all, it's all the same. Yeah. I, did and you it's... hear those dulcet tones there, right there? Yeah. But but it's not it's not that that means that they're not talented, and it doesn't mean that what they do isn't good. But it's like, it would be like if um, it would be like if Arnold Schwarzenegger only did action movies. Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't dislike him. It's just not something, I mean, I'm just like, okay, I've heard this. We can, we can move on. You know, like if I'm listening to the radio and a Cat Steven song comes on, I don't turn it off. It's not like they're Kiss. (laughs) But it's just, a lot of the, a lot of the music sounded the same. So it just, I I told her, I said, this is going to be a hard movie for me to watch. And she goes, oh, really? Why? Like, like 10 minutes. And I said, because I didn't know Cat Stevens did the soundtrack. (laughs) I've still, I still, I've got stitches from the, the from the wound that I received. <laughs> no, I did not do anything of the sort. I know you didn't, and they know that too. Well, they know it now because I told them. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Ruined it. It's ruined. Ruined. So, uh, this movie is interesting in the fact that, I, and here's here's I guess my question for you. In the end, 
and it's it's not a surprise to the audience, and it really shouldn't be a pro- surprise to Harold either, because throughout the movie, um, as she's getting to know Harold, she keeps saying, "Well, it'll be all over by Saturday," or it'll, you know, and she she talks, she alludes to the fact that eighty is going to be it for her. Um, now, for somebody who has you know lived a full life and embraced life. And she wants to go out on her terms. But is it, which is more selfish, you know, what Harold is doing to his mother? Or if you believe that suicide is a selfish act, what Maude is doing at the end of the movie? I kind of felt that way. Remember mm-hmm. I asked you, I'm like, what the fuck? What, I mean, why would she do that? And you're like, well, she said 80 was a perfect age. There are some people that, think that there are notes and hints that are dropped throughout the movie that she is developing Alzheimer's or dementia. Oh, okay. Um, I would have to look them up at break, mm-hmm. um, but that's one of the thoughts, like so something like she says a lot of, oh, I can't remember, or, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That um, it also has something to do with uh, something that she looks at now. Oh, um, I take that back. There was a scene in the book Mm-hmm. In the in the the the, uh, the screenplay, not screenplay. The the gentleman that wrote it, he wrote it as a as a book, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where he comes in, uh, uh, Harold comes into her house, and she has a bunch of empty picture frames. And he asks her, "Why are all the picture frames empty?" And she says, "Because the people looking back at me were a lot clearer than the memories I have in my mind, and it upset me." Oh. So there's some so them so there's some hints there about I she's going downhill, right? So, I mean, you know, I don't know if that's something that I would want to live through. I don't know if that's right. something that I'd want to put the people that cared about me through. And to be honest with you, who did she have in her life until that week before Harold? Um, Glauson. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody. Yeah, nobody. So uh, she had the, the, the friend of hers that was the artist. Mm-hmm. Who's going to take care of her? You know what I mean? So, right. I mean, after reading that, it makes more sense. Uh, but again, how do you not have that in the movie? I mean, there was several, I mean, five minutes, you, we, we could have added five minutes to that movie to understand, because he's, because they, the, here's a movie where you have a young man that doesn't care about life at all, mm-hmm. and a woman who life is, life is the ultimate. It's to be lived. It's, 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 that's right. You got to have something to tell him in the, in the locker room is what she says to him at that one point. Mm-hmm. Why does she just up and when? She now has someone who is like living with her and, and part of the moment and blah 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 and it's just all of a sudden I'm I'm gonna off myself. It does that that made no sense to me. It makes more sense and I appreciate the movie more after finding that out. But if I hadn't been doing research for this podcast, I'd have just been like, crazy bitch killed herself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean for really for 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 zero reason. I'm eighty. Fuck it. I mean, listen, this you're not gonna be soiling green. You don't have to die at eighty. Mm-hmm. So it just. Well, I think again, and this is this is part of the the sound of the movie, and I think there was just production values from '71. It was probably not done on a very high budget either, but I think they might have dropped hints that I just didn't catch because I wasn't 
clearly getting any you know some of the stuff that Rick Gordon was saying. So and this is this is an artsy film. I call it an artsy mm-hmm. film because it's not a movie that they just make. It's a gorgeous tell, film. To, yeah, to it, tell a story. They, this is a movie where they're trying to drive home a point. Mm-hmm. They want you. I mean, this is art imitating life. So this this is a very beautifully shot film. It it's yeah you know even if you're even you're, though you're you know seeing images of you know. Uh, a destruction of a building or, or something like that. It's still the way it's shot is, is very done very well. It's, it sets a mood. It, it kind of really draws you in. So I've got, you know, and I'll, in my top five scenes, there's one scene that is just, I did not remember it from the first time I saw it. What are you doing? Top three scenes. What did I say? Five, Top five. Oh, <laughs> Thanks for talking about the other podcast. <laughs> um, well, maybe I have five. Maybe you uh, do. <laughs> that are and that's just five more than me. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can finish now. I can love I? You. I love. Can you. I finish it now? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> can I? I don't know. May um, you? I. It's not even a matter of may. What the hell was I saying? Oh, um, so something about five. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> There, there are scenes that I did not remember from the first time I saw it. Like the thing that you know, I remembered a lot is obviously the the, the faked stage suicides were were what stood out to me. Um, now that I was able to sit down and really take it in, there are some scenes that just blew me away as far as um, the artistry of them. So this is a, a great film for that kind of camera work it's great maybe we should talk take a break and talk about that afterwards um yeah we could just talk about the trivia or get your general overall summation of how you felt about this movie but we could take a break yeah i think taking a break is right up there hello there Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. And we are back. Fried chicken was delicious. (laughs) You liar. Maybe I'm just so hungry that I wished I'd had fried chicken. (laughs) Did you fall asleep? Take a little nap. Maybe. Okay, so I did a little bit of research there. Uh, Ma, uh, so Maud's, Maud's picture frames are empty and Colin Higgins' book Harold asked why she removed the photographs and the scene was not used in the movie Maud tells him they mocked her by their images remaining sharp even as her memories were fading implying that she is suffering from Alzheimer's or a similar form of dementia yeah that would have that would have been a helpful that would have been yeah. huge right because mm-hmm. then you would have been like okay she's 
fading or she something's wrong with her not just here's this woman who does whatever she wants whenever she wants and enjoys life and you know uh and the role that uh, i could not remember that he turned down in um one flew over the cuckoo's nest was billy bibbit yeah that's a that is a i won't i won't spoil it if you want to see that movie but that is a very um critical role in that piece gotcha so this was going to get an R rating. Apparently there was a controversial swear word that had to be eliminated from the scene which Harold and Maude sit under the sunset. Now, I remember somebody saying something when they were like they I think they were on the water watching the sunset. Right. One of them said something. Hmm. Like I don't know why pussy is sticking out in my head. Like, don't be like, don't be a pussy or something like that. But I can't remember, I can't remember what they said. But um, I would like to huh. know. I would like to know what word would have yeah. gotten them a dead art. Well, of course, it was 1970. It that was 1970. True. It was probably hamburger. <laughs> so, um, and Bud Court wanted Greta Garbo to play the role of Maude. No shit. No shit he wanted Greta Garbo to play her. Actually, he and... Um, oh, geez. Now I'm forgetting things. That's okay. That's why <laughs> we're here. Go- he and Ruth Gordon became very close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because while he was filming that, um, this, uh, his dad had um, multiple sclerosis and he was dying. And when they wrapped... Um, his father died and just after the shooting ended and uh, Ruth Gordon called him the morning his father died and said, honey, let me tell you about the day my father died. And they kind of bonded over that shared law, you know, loss and shared experience. Um, He says that um, she was one of the most important friendships he's ever had in his life after that moment. And well, even though she was a Satanist, (laughs) <laughs> different movie <laughs> what what no what i thought this was the sequel the sequel to rosemary's yeah, baby she just went off and no. lived her life on no <laughs> <laughs> um i there's not a lot you know um trivia wise on this um they did they did want to have the d- director did want to have a sex scene with him, right? And Paramount was like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. Even, they didn't even discuss it. They they said that it was a straight up a deal breaker. Um, he snuck one in anyway. So yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't a sex scene. It was just <laughs> and a post coital scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were just sleeping. They may not have done anything. Maybe they just had cookies and milk. They was n- and naked. Well, I mean, I've never had cookies. <laughs> cookies taste better than when I'm naked. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, apparently, after they wrapped, Paramount um, took control of the edit from Ashby. Why? Um, so I think it was probably because of the themes of the movie, the fact that, that you know, you've got a 20-year-old with an 80-year-old woman. Um, so Court went to a publicity movie. Uh, meeting with the studio and he told him he would refuse to promote the film unless they gave control back to Ashby. Um, and they did. Um, and other than a kissing scene, um, 
that's that's the only thing they took out. Um, uh, but then Court kind of screwed his future with Paramount. So it wasn't until uh, probably the 80s or 90s, um, you know, that he would have any kind of work to do with them. Yeah, um, well, I mean, kind of stood up for himself, so I guess that's a good thing, right? Well, he stood up for Ashby. Uh, apparently on the set of Electric Dreams, which Bud Court was in, I guess it was a movie in 1984. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it either. Um, Court met Boy George on the set. I guess Boy George has something to do with it. I, okay. I didn't get a chance to look it up. His first, Boy George's first words to Court were, you're the bloke who kept killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently Boy George is a very big fan of the movie. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that that uh, movie would definitely uh, fit a British sensibility as far as comedy is concerned. So yeah, he um he's worked consistently um fairly much throughout um but he took small roles like he was in Columbo um you know throughout the 70s um or he, throughout the 70s he took small roles he was in Columbo um he was in a PBS movie um he was in Pumping Iron with Arnold as himself yes I've never seen that, but I feel like I'm going to have to watch I've it at seen some it. point. And? I, it's really bad? I is just want to say I've seen it. That's is it as bad as Hercules in New York? It's no. Well, Pumping Iron is more of a documentary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Um, Electric Dreams, yeah, 1984. Um, interesting. He was in Bates Motel. Let's see. What else was he in? He's done voices for the Batman, the animated series. Okay. The Mask, the animated series. Superman, the <laughs> animated series. He was in Dogma. Really? Yeah. He was J- John Doe Jersey. Okay. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of uh, lines, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He was in Coyote Ugly. Never saw it. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. I never saw it, but I want to because it's got Bill Murray in it. He was in Justice League. The 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 new Justice League, the horrific Two, League, the 2006. horrific two thousand six. Two thousand six. That would have been animated. That would have been animated series. Okay. okay. He was in Eagle Heart. Um, that's with. Um, uh, that's with the. Um, oh, I can't think of his Chris name. Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott. Yes. So. So he's been working consistently. He just hasn't had any real. Well, there's major a lot of roles there's a lot of people the, that do that. The though. Lead, they know? make quite a career where they are comfortable. They're just not, you know, Matthew McConaughey, hey, 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 level or something. <laughs> so, I mean, good for him. I mean, I, he was good in the role. I, he he was. I everybody in the role in the movie was good. Like I said, I don't really have any complaints or, you know, um. Did it make you want to grab the bull by the horns? Did it? Was it life affirming for you? No. No. I mean, didn't do. I'm much. old. You're old. 
<laughs> not that old. I mean, Saturday is the end for me. Saturday. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not that guy that's scared to try stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. The only reason I've never been able to do stuff I want to do is because I'm a broke bitch. <laughs> I ain't got no damn money. Just steal and, a car. And when, and when I did have money, I didn't have no time. And I respect the law and the rules too much to <laughs> just go steal a fucking car. Hey, you guys want to go see a movie? We don't need tickets. We don't need a car. It's all right out there. Um, I mean, I, I can appreciate what they were saying, and I understand it. I mean, you have to do... It's a real hard. It's a real hard line to walk that you, you know, that you can just do whatever you want, um, because if you don't do the things that you have to do, you don't get to do the things that you want to do. You know, if you don't get up and go to work every day, you don't have money to go do fun stuff unless you're inherently wealthy, and then you don't have to fucking worry about rules anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it's 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 a nice message. It, you right. know, get off the sofa and go see people to hang out with them and, or and things like right, that. Right, or but, like like she said, you know, you who cares what people think you know if you're gonna make a fool out of yourself make a fool out of yourself you know when he was talking about wanting to do a somersault but that would be odd you know yeah just like why yeah i mean (laughs) it didn't i can see how maybe it would affect people like that or some people would see that and want to do that but i mean it didn't it the movie the movie that spoke to me that made me want to change and do the different things that i be different was expendables <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that I know that I could fly that plane I'm kind of good with guns I threw a knife once <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> always comes back to expendables duh <laughs> you know they're making an expendables for good luck with that <laughs> opening night <laughs> I'll be there I'll be there. I don't go to the theaters much, but I will go see Expendables 4. And even if it sucks, I won't tell you. I'll just make you watch it. <laughs> They're also making a Demolition Man, too. So, you know, that doesn't say a whole lot about Expendables 4. Oh, Lord. Right? Like, where are they going to go? Oh. Is Wesley Snipes coming back? I mean, did they, they put him together and defraud? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Is I he mean, out of jail? Huh? Is he out of jail? Yeah, he was out of jail for Expendables 3. <laughs> Remember? God. No, I didn't watch Expendables yeah, 3. Yeah, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't watch it, you mean old meanie pants face. <laughs> um, I, I understand what you're saying. No, it doesn't, it doesn't change my philosophy on life. I'm not, I've never been that guy anyway. I'm more of an extrovert than you are anyway. Yeah, so. that's true. So I don't, I don't mind going places and seeing things and doing stuff. Now, it depends on what time of year it is. If it's summertime, I'm not going because it's too fucking hot out. <laughs> but um, if you want to be you, be you, unless in the it's AC. Hot out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but, but it's, it's a good, it's a good message. It is, it is. It, 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 I, I understand what right. they were saying, and I, I can agree with it. I'm totally okay with it. Okay. Plus, if you don't go out and do things, there is no way you're going to be able to trick somebody into having the devil's baby. So you've got, <laughs> you've got to be on it. You've got to. I think Rosemary's baby was in the 60s, remember? <laughs> so, let's, so let's put it all together. I wonder if being at Auschwitz is what... F- shook her faith in the Lord enough that she became a Satanist and tricked somebody into having the devil's baby. (laughs) No? No. Okay. No. 
No. <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying no. to put all the. I'm just trying to put everything together. They've given me a whole bunch of puzzle pieces here that aren't just. They're just not fitting, and I'm trying to make them work. And got like a twelve piece puzzle. I can't even put it together. It's crazy. <laughs> um. I I I don't I don't have a whole lot more. Do you, is there anything that you'd like to touch I, on to talk about? I don't think so. I mean, it's just a very um, it's a it's a fairly simple story for what it is, um, and I think it's done well. I don't know if they could do this again today, um, simply because of the major age differences. Well, they do it on between. Pornhub all the time. Did you think that we were going to talk about a movie where an eighteen-year-old boy has a sex 20, with an eighty-year-old woman? Twenty-year-old boy. Oh, twenty. Okay. He's, yeah, He's in. 20. I thought he was in school still. Twenty. Okay. Did you think that we were going to do a movie where a twenty-year-old boy has sex with an eighty-year-old woman and there wasn't going to be one porn joke? I mean, do you not know who I am at all? I didn't know that that was a fetish. Everything <laughs> is a fetish. <laughs> I prefer to stay in the dark. Well, I I, I get it, but I mean, you, you have to. You may not like it, but you got to acknowledge it. No, I I I I think that if they did it today, the ages would probably be a little bit closer. Mm. She might be a little younger, but it's not as it's not as poignant and telling. Which may be why this is the only movie ever made that hasn't been remade. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, I mean. Good point. I, I, I don't, I don't see it as taboo. I mean, if you love somebody, be with them. But I, you know, there's a lot of people out there that would probably freak out like, about it. I think. Well, that's a lot of. I mean, let's talk Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert did not give this movie when it came out a very good rating. He just thought it was a. I don't know if he thought it was an odd gimmick or not. You know what I mean? It was a lot of people found it, that whole thing distasteful. The guy, the guy who's supposed to be there to talk about the art of a movie. Mm-hmm. Something was in the movie that he didn't like, so he told everybody to not go see it. Okay, <laughs> whatever, buddy. Yeah. Let me. Let me. I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time dealing with that. You can't. That okay. That's like um, Leonard Malton. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I like about him is that he doesn't like horror movies. Mm-hmm. So when he writes a review. He has a person who likes horror movies that goes and sees the movie and then they basically write the review for him because right. he knows that he can't sit down and watch a horror movie and be unbiased. True. And and I'm sorry, if you're going to give me your opinion of something, you can't be biased. Like somebody who goes, oh, the new Tom Cruise movie sucked. And then you find out for 15 years they've hated Tom Cruise. I mean... Tom Cruise isn't my favorite person in the world. I, he's 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 a little bit of a wackadoodle if you want to get right down to it. But but you know what? He makes some decent movies. That's like that's like saying Michael Jackson music isn't good because his personal life was weird. Okay, Michael Jackson was odd, right? Because of what he went through as a kid and everything, and it's understandable. But the guy was a fucking genius with his music. And even if you don't like that type of music, you like Michael Jackson. So don't 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 let something that's personal skew. Right. This, you yeah, know, you got to separate yeah. the art from the artist, and I uh, think that's exactly. Yeah. So what Roger Ebert said in his review was dated January first, nineteen seventy two. Um, he gave that's what's wrong. He was still drunk. He <laughs> <laughs> he gave the film one and a half out of four stars, and he wrote, "What we get finally is a movie of attitudes. Harold is death." mod life and they managed to make the two seem so similar that life's hardly worth the extra bother 
The visual style makes everyone look fresh from the wax museum. And the movie lacks is a lot of day-old gardenias and lilies and roses in the lobby, filling the place with cloying sweet smell. Nothing more to report today. Harold doesn't even make it make pallbearer. That's what he wrote. So I guess he was it wasn't so much the that the relationship. Um, but I don't agree with others, anything he others, said there. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't understand Roger Ebert sometimes. Maybe that's it. Maybe good thing we he have only to had. Do... Good thing he only had one fucking thumb to put up or down. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe we ought to do a podcast just seeing the things that Roger Ebert gave one star to. <laughs> we could certainly make it a weekly a weekly thing on the show where we that's true. talk about Mr. Ebert's. Yeah, so you can try to get your head around why what makes him say this is good and this is bad. Because ironically, when we do talk about a critic uh, about what they thought about a show, a movie on this, it's typically Roger Ebert. It's typically Roger Ebert, and uh, like, it's just like brain candy. He did not give brain candy, and good, that's yeah. why I don't like Roger Ebert. <laughs> They said uh, Vincent Camby also panned the film, stating that the actors are so aggressive and so creepy and so off-putting that Harold and Maude are obviously made for each other. Uh, a point the movie itself refuses to recognize with a twist ending that betrays, I think, its life-observing pretensions. So that's you know the part so, of it. So he's upset that two weirdos were attracted to each other? Is that what he's upset? I mean, that's what he said? They're, they're so aggressive that they're attracted? Yeah, fuck, fucking A! That's called life! <laughs> When was the last time you saw a completely normal person with a wackadoodle? <laughs> um, am I supposed to be the normal person in this scenario? Well, it's not me. Wackadoodle. We, oh. we we prefer crazy. You prefer crazy? Yeah. Are you sure? No. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck we prefer. We prefer so, a barbecue. Obviously, uh, you know, over time it's it's gotten better and it's become a favorite. It's got like an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. I know we know that Rotten Tomatoes is not the, the life and death, but it is a, it is a watermark. So. It's a, and, and it's, you know what? It's a fairly accurate watermark. I mean, there's a lot of movies that I look at it and go, wow, that's really high. Or like, I can't mm-hmm. believe it's that low. But when you take the, when you look at the audience score, the audience score to me is significantly better than what the critic score is to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I'm not a critic. I don't, very few movies do I go into going, hmm, I hope this movie's super artistic. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't expect this to be, and preachy's the wrong word, but I didn't expect this to be a preachy movie. Mm-hmm. I just kind of expected it to be, a, like I said, a quirky comedy. Right. And And it wasn't preachy in the fact that it's like, Live life, live life. It was just, they, they had a message and they and they put that message out there. And I'm I'm cool with that. I So... If an audience watches a movie and it's like sixty or fifty-five or sixty percent, then I know I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a movie that I might enjoy that I probably won't watch again. Now, if I sit down and I watch a movie and it's ninety-eight, then this movie better be the end-all, be-all of everything because this movie is a cat's ass. But a lot of that, you know, I, I just feel like the I feel like the critic score because there are not as many critics, mm-hmm. the score can be really skewed. But when you start getting you know twenty-five thousand people putting an audience score in, but 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 Rotten Tomatoes is they're kind of on it sometimes. I mean, there's some you know I've seen some movies that I really like that got a twelve. Mm. I'm gonna have to you know. Well, this was when when AFI did their comedy list um, in 2008 too. It was it got in the top ten. It was it was in the top ten rom coms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in two that was 2008. I guess there's some uh, 
magazine or something that does a, a polling every year of like ten something. I can I can look it up real quick, but it's this movie is constantly up there. And there's and there's a handful of things that I'm going to talk about that, in the box office as well that that you know are good to know about this movie, but. I'm kind of I'm kind of out of stuff. You're out of stuff. Oh no. Okay. Well, the only other place that um or thing that I found out um is where uh, this was filmed in the San Francisco area. Yep. Hillsborough, California, I think is mm-hmm. the is the city. So the mansion that is um Harold's and his mother's mansion. Um the butler <laughs> Yeah, you found that okay. Yeah. He was the actual butler of the Rose Court Mansion. He in the so. scene, he was, he was the one in the scene that was holding the tray when she dropped her glass after the Harry Carey yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> he's actually he actually was the butler. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty funny. What's your last date? Um, <laughs> I, you know, what? it surprised me because in, in that scene where he does the Harry Carey um, with the actress, right, and she's she's the only date that isn't off put by it. Right, she 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 catches on that this is he she's just acting. So she, and she tests the knife. You see her test the knife that it retracts back into the sheath, um, and she does her her Juliet scene. Right, <laughs> buzz <And> your girlfriend. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> and she, and there's a part of me going, maybe those two belong together. Maybe. <laughs> That was the only two pieces of puzzle that fit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things about that scene that are really good, and I'm kind of saving those two. Okay. All right. Do you want to, I mean, this is kind of hard for you to do about box office, but do you want to talk about yeah, box I, office? I, yeah, I want to do box office. Um, there's not a lot of money things I can talk about, but there's a handful of things that I found out that I, I was interested in. So this was this was released in 1971. Uh, there are zero numbers about what it did at the box office, and it was not it did not make money. Um, it uh, it was filmed on a budget of 1.2 1.3 million dollars, depending on where you go. But one of the things about this movie is there was a theater in Minnesota, and you surprised me with this. Harold and Maude played for a total of 1,957 showings from mid-1972 until June 1974 at the Westgate Theater in Edina, Minnesota, which, if one I understand, is a, a suburb of Minneapolis. Ruth Gordon appeared for the first anniversary celebration, and both Gordon and Court showed up for the second anniversary. Um, one of the things that I found doing some research is there was an article written in 1983 for the New York Times that... Um, it, the the article was about Harold and Maude finally makes money. Mm-hmm. So it took it until 1983 where it made money. Ruth Gordon received her first residual check from this from this movie in 1983, and she almost threw it away because she had never gotten anything other than her salary out of this movie. Oh, it was really? a $50,000 <laughs> check, and she almost threw it away because she was just like, it's just more about how that movie I was in sucked. Um, this movie... Uh, grew legs with um, colleges, students in college that would watch it for whatever reason. Uh, the base, the, the basis of the story was a 20-minute short story-ish that uh, the, the writer wrote for his thesis uh, while he was at UCLA. But there are um, people that have seen this movie over 100 times 
that they watch it. There are places where they show this movie where mm-hmm. I guess one place they were watching it, uh, some of the audio was was bad, and people were actually saying the lines where the audio was bad, so that um, it 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 has made money. It's not hard to make money after fifteen years when you only spend one point two million on it, but. Um, that was that was the big thing uh, is that it 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 had it ran over two and a half years. Now apparently, when they showed up, uh, when the New York Times showed up at one point to somebody, I'm sorry, it wasn't New York Times. Somebody showed up to do a story about the fact that it had ran for 1,957 showings. There were people picketing to get the movie changed because they were like they they were they wanted anything except hardcore porn that's what they were picketing <laughs> for was anything except hardcore porn <laughs> but it ran every day uh multiple times so uh, it's it, i i think it has a following and i'm sure that the critics panning it probably did not help it i mean no no when when mr ebert gives it a thumbs down it typically kind of killed that movie but uh there's no box office numbers on it uh so yeah, yeah. And this wasn't really um, the the time where movies and their soundtracks, you know, unless it was a musical, um, was a big thing, right? So this there was never a soundtrack released for this. And they finally, I think, Cat uh, Stevens and Cameron Crowe worked together and they finally released... On vinyl mm-hmm. in 2008. Yep. The soundtrack. The movie was re-released in France in 2008 as well, but there were no numbers there. Um, it, it was a very, very successful play overseas in over 20 countries. It, I can see that. It ran a long time, it, like years. In New York, they cast Ruth Gordon as a not, not, not the main role. In New York, she was cast as... I'll look it up when 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 you're doing your lick, but okay. but it ran it ran for two days. Oh wow! It only did four shows. Um. Yeah, th- they were they were not a lot of movies in the '70s, unless it was like a like a, and I think heavy metal was the '80s, but there was a lot of not not a lot of soundtracks that were big. And when were the Beatles movies? Were they in the '60s or the '70s? Uh, the Beatles broke up in 1970. Yeah, they were in the 60s. Okay, so, so 60s. yeah, I mean, but this, you know, you didn't. This was just never released, so it was pretty interesting. This is ranked number four in Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all time. The writer, forgot about this. The writer um, also wrote uh, Nine to Five, mm-hmm. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, mm-hmm. and what was the other one? It was something big. It was really big. Something really big. Really big shoe. Really big. Doggone it. <laughs> I, I was surprised when I saw I have it. To, I have to go back to the uh, the article that I had there. And I'm not as... Uh, okay. <laughs> A play based on Colin Higgins' story opened in New York on February 7th, 1980, but failed badly, closing uh, closing on February 9th. 1980 after only four performances the scars the st- oh my god <laughs> i'm gonna learn to read one day the stars were janet gaynor keith mcdermott with ruth ford playing mrs chasen <laughs> so who was mrs chasen uh mrs chasen is is harold's mother okay really mm-hmm. why would she play the mother at that point why wouldn't she play ruth or yeah. play miss or play maude i mean I holy crap know. 
Don't know. She was 51 years older than mm-hmm. Bud Court. Bud Court. Mm-hmm. Um, You're still trying to find out what yeah, he wrote? Yeah, I'm still trying to find Um, The producers of The Devil's Daughter hired Higgins to write a Hitchcock-style thriller. This became Silver Streak in 1976. That wasn't the one I was thinking of. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> a few years ago, a young man came up to me and said, thank you for putting me through college, said Colin Higgins, who first wrote Harold and Maude as a 20-minute script for his master's thesis at UCLA Film School. He told me that the first semester of his freshman year at Washington State, he rented the movie and a hall and made enough money to pay his expenses for the semester. He did it again every semester for four years. Uh, strange the gate way the game is played, uh, Mr. Higgins mused. Harold and Maude only cost $1.3 million. That's not even the salary of a major star. Around 1977, Hal and Ruth and I did an audit of the movie because it cost so little we were sure it must be in profit, but it wasn't. 114 weeks in Minneapolis. It played 92 consecutive weeks in Boston, 112 weeks in Montreal, two years in Paris, and 114 consecutive weeks at a single theater in Minneapolis. <laughs> Uh, Paramount celebrated the end of the movie's second year at the Westgate Theater in Minneapolis. Frustrated moviegoers who lived near the theater carried placards begging for any change of program other than hardcore pornography. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've got to find... I'll find it. Oh! uh, He wrote Foul Play. Foul Play, yes. There it is. He directed Foul Play, Dine to Five, and Best Little Whorehouse in Texas as well. Higgins? Yes. But he didn't write. He didn't direct this. Ashby directed, directed right, this. Right. He did not okay. direct this. Yeah, he gotcha. only directed three movies, and those were the three. Foul Play and Nine to Five both went into profit almost immediately. But as Mr. Higgins puts it, Harold and Maude is the one people cherish. Yeah, it is. All she right. thought she thought it was a Reader's Digest uh, uh, sweepstake. Her first check. She thought she <laughs> thought it was a, she, like, she thought it was a Reader's what? Digest sweepstake. <laughs> it says. Um, Ruth Gordon almost threw away her $50,000 check. I thought it was one of those sweepstakes from the Reader's Digest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So top three? Yeah, we can talk about top three. You want to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, my number three was the Harry Carey scene. Okay. Okay. And it, was, and it was, and I didn't laugh out loud at it a lot because I was super uncomfortable at, this, at the girl. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, get her off the screen. She's just, she just. <laughs> She's intense. She, she weirded intense. me out, right? Yeah. But there were so many things that when I stopped and thought about it, going back to it, that made it funny. First of all, he brings up Harry Carey and she goes, oh, what's Harry Carey? And he didn't tell her. He gets out a mat. He kneels (laughs) down. He's got a knife. He goes through the whole thing. He fakes his death. And she goes, oh, wow. That's pretty good. And, yeah. then, and then she starts <laughs> she talking. She was like enamored with it. Yeah. yeah. She starts talking about how um, she was told her best acting when she did Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and she starts talking with this horrid accent <laughs> that's overdubbed with a British accent and just like not convincing. And I just, the I, I kind of want to go back and watch that scene again so I can appreciate it a little bit better. <laughs> okay. Number two was the fire suicide. Yes. Because... I expected it, but I didn't expect it. And then to get the whole, oh, oh, Harold. Oh, hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> My favorite scene, and I didn't laugh out loud as loud as I wanted to because I wanted to hear what he's going to say, was at the end when he had told his mother that he was going to marry Maude. Mm-hmm. And she didn't believe him. And he handed her the picture. 
And it started this rant of everybody about how he can't marry her for one reason or another. Right. My favorite part of that was when the priest was going, when I think of you with her droopy bosoms and (laughs) saggy buttocks, you're a fucking priest, bro. You're not even (laughs) supposed to be with a woman and you're pissed off that he's going to be with a woman because her body is not perfect. And he was angry. He wasn't like, you know, you really shouldn't do this. He was angry. Like like he had just told him, I am leaving the I'm leaving the rectory so that I can go be an anarchist, Satanist, atheist. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that none of those work together. No, but none. <laughs> he straight up was just pissed well, off. You could be an anarchist atheist, but I don't think you could be an atheist Satanist. Just saying. I can be anything I want to be. My daddy told me so. <laughs> He was just livid. He had this look in his eyes like you had just told an Irish priest that they were out of whiskey. It was, it was, he was flat ass pissed off. And just something about him being angry, I was, inside I was dying. But I, I didn't want to miss what he said because I didn't want to have to go oh, rewind it. Oh, I, was, I was cracking up. <laughs> Love that scene. Okay, you? Okay, um... There is a scene where they are, I don't know if they're having a picnic or they're just sitting around um, in the cemetery, and it is Golden Gate National Cemetery, so it's a lot of just plain white headstones. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a military, military. yep. Yeah. Um, and as they pull back, and they they pull back very slowly and continuing to the expanse and it's a beautiful shot of these two people and just vast headstones just everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful but it's you know it's sad because you're like those are all people who died and Um, and had some type of military capacity in their life right exactly and so but i think they're are you know so that scene just really stood out as far as it being it's do you call it hauntingly beautiful i guess is is the best thing for it i was i was impressed with that shot i got unfortunately i got involved in looking at something else in that shot what i was looking at is you know because they because they they do them in a pattern Mm -hmm. what i was noticing was all the holes of how many spots were still left oh the plots Um, yeah but i mean but you're right it and, and and what happened when that shot is I got so engrossed in looking at those little holes. Mm-hmm. By the time that they were at, had pulled all the way back, I mm-hmm. couldn't find Harold and Maude anymore. Yeah, that's how big the shot was. Yeah, and I was it was like, wow. vast. It was, was like wow. The, yeah, it was huge. There's a lot of scenes like that, you know, where they're among a lot of similar things, and it's just the two of them. Um, there's the one where they're in the greenhouse, and there's like these little potted plants and. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is when they are, um, they're kind of walking along and she's talking about how she always wanted to be, a, if she had to be a flower, she'd be a sunflower cause they stand up tall and they get in the sun and all that. And she asked him, you know, what kind of flower would you be? And I guess he just points to a daisy and he's like, you know, cause it just blends in with the rest of them. They all look the same. They all look the same. And she's like, well, no, actually, if you look at them and she starts explaining, you know, this one's petals are fatter and this one's are thinner and this one has, you know, and so she talks more and more about everybody, you know, kind of saying everybody's got their own thing. But I think it's just the nature of their relationship. It, they are, they are like everybody else. They are 
this, you know, on, on molecular levels, same, same as everybody else. And they have found each other and they see each other. And so that makes them stand out. And I think that that is kind of that whole, um, visual, um, where you've got scenes like that is just kind of the nature of their relationship. And that makes it, it's actually really beautiful, right? It is. And it's it's kind of heavy-handed, but it's not heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Because every time that you see the two of them together, and it's just them, right? they are at a place that represents life or represents death. Right. Like in the greenhouse. She's like, I love to watch all these plants grow. Mm-hmm. And you just look around, and there's all these new plants. Mm-hmm. And, and with him, you're at the cemetery where all the people are dead. Or and you're the, the, or, or you're the at the place where they're tearing yeah. the, star, the, the yeah. trash yard where everything is is garbage, and then you're at the when she was talking about the daisies, mm-hmm. um, and then you're at the beach where it's kind of a little bit of both, right? Where the because the because the beach was all jacked up and screwed up, but they were looking at the the pink or the, right. the and it, it and it, and they the thing that I thought that was really incredible about it was the fact that they did not look at that stuff. That, at all before they got together but the fact that they were together and they were looking at it they were both able to appreciate it and enjoy it which yeah. was you know which That's was really cool funny. yeah um when you um see what he does with the jaguar turning it into a hearse because his mom <laughs> took it upon herself to get rid of his hearse and get him a a proper car so she got him a jaguar and as soon as, you know, she unveils it to him, he starts, you know, getting his blowtorch and everything together. So he's going to work on the car. And of course, when you see it the next time, it is completely modif- modified beautiful. into a hearse. It was beautiful. It was so, it's a little bitty Jaguar hearse. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's, that's funny. The other one that made me laugh is, um, you know, we had, to, I mean, the setting himself on fire is great. And I, again, you know, as I said before, I think it's just because it reminded me so much of Better Off Dead. Um, yes. So it really did. But the swimming pool, when he just swims right by, floating, him. floating in the swimming. He almost, he almost, he killed himself <laughs> doing that scene. Um, he. It's James Cameron directing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, he he was so committed to 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 doing that and take after take after take. I know it irritated the hell out of his eyes um, in doing that, but I think he also took it again. He was the only real method actor among the, the rest of the cast. So he, he just devoted himself to getting those scenes, right? Gotcha. But yeah, so those are mine. Okay. Uh, doggone it. I had a thought there and I didn't want to interrupt you and I, I lost train of thought there. Um, no problem. So I, I know you said that this wouldn't be bought and wouldn't go into rotation, but would you watch it again? Yeah, I'd probably watch it again. I I would I, I wouldn't mind watching it again just to kind of maybe catch the stuff that I missed. I mean, it, it would be it would be kind of neat to 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 see you know now that I know what I'm I'm going after. Doggone it! I wanted to say something, and it was about it was a it had just something to do with him uh, faking his deaths and stuff like that, and I can't remember. Yeah. There is one, I guess one I scene. Those one scene down. that I didn't, I didn't write down. It was, it was, it kind of fell off the list. Is there is a scene where they're driving, um, and she pulls off the road and drives on the sidewalk, um, causing people to scatter for a little bit, 
and then she pulls back onto the road. And that's one of those scenes when she pulls back onto the road. You don't see what happens, but you hear something happen. That was that. when she was driving in the. Um, she had the. Uh, the El Camino. The El Camino, right. And they were driving down that dirt road. Right. And I'm like, damn, she got a lead foot. Remember? Because she's doing like 90 <laughs> cars bouncing all over the place. One of the things that I wanted to say was if, if I, I think it deserves an honorable mention, I loved his interactions with the psychiatrist. Yeah, those were pretty funny. Did you notice that they were dressed exactly the same? No. Down to tie and pocket squares. Get out. They had the exact same outfits I'm, on. Wow. I did not notice that. No. According, according to the trivia I found, I didn't notice it, but I remember I remember them being dressed similar, mm-hmm. but I didn't remember the ties and everything. But there is a point in his therapy where he talks about, um, you know, his mother's his mother's not paying attention to his, you know, fake suicides as much anymore, and and he's like, well, he's like, well, does that bother? He's like, well, I put a lot of effort into them. So yeah, that was funny, <laughs> and he said he tells him he goes, it's a, a widely acknowledged uh, issue that. Boys and men want to sleep with their mother. My problem is, is that you want to sleep with your grandmother <laughs> with a straight ass face. He's just looking at him like, I, I think you're fucked up in the head, son. <laughs> All right. So I guess we are at the part of the podcast where I have to ask you a question. Are you ready? What? Yeah. What question are you going to ask me? I'm going to ask you, um, what are you going to have? Slash make me watch? You know what? I'm glad you asked me that. <gasps> okay. Well, I'm glad I asked you. I had several, I'm glad you're glad. I had several options, and I know that you were probably getting mad at me at the beginning of the show, but I had a brilliant idea as soon as we started recording, so I had to make sure that it was going to work out. Okay. We are going to have a special guest next week. We are. We are going to have a special guest next week. He's a returning guest. Oh. My cousin, James Thompson, James. who's been my best friend basically my whole life. We're going to watch a movie that's near and dear to our heart. You and James? The two, the three of us are. It's little ditty like I like to call, I'm going to get you, sucker. <laughs> no. <laughs> this movie is fantastic. This is, this is uh, a movie that's right along the lines of Airplane and those types of movies. It's got lots of jokes. It has a yeah. ton of people in it. I think I've seen... I don't you've know if seen, I've seen it. You've seen parts of it. You've walked in with me watching it. Okay. But this has a... It's got Keenan Ivory Wayans, Damon Wayans, Kadeen Hardison, Jim Brown, um, Isaac Hayes. Uh, just the list goes on and on and on. And we... James and I can quote this movie back and forth to each other. So I, it was on my list. It's been on my list for a long time. Okay. So I figured that this was the perfect opportunity since he's going to come stay with us for the Fourth of July weekend and hang out with us for a couple of days. We could, we could, uh, you know, get that third voice on the podcast. So okay, I I don't. I, you might not want to buy this when it's when we're done watching it, but that's okay <laughs> because I already own it. Um. So I'm going to get you, sucker. All right. I something to look forward um, to. Yeah, you. I. You know what? You have a good sense of humor. You'll enjoy it. There's some funny shit in this movie. Okay. Is it? You know what? We're, we won't even get into it now. We we'll won't. Get into it. We won't. Yeah. yeah um, I'm at G Bishop Seven Two on Twitter, but there's no point in following me because I'm not doing anything lately. Twitter's mean and evil and angry right now, so I'm just <laughs> avoiding it. Um, giving, 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 uh, making way for other voices right now on the on the Twitterverse. Yes, um, and uh, you can follow the show. Um, we are on Instagram and we are on Twitter, and both those handles are at Honey Watch This. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. We haven't been posting there as much as uh, 
we have been the other ones. Um, I am at T5FF underscore Angel on Twitter. Um, I have kind of been a little silent on Twitter, too, just because there are other conversations to be had. So I'm going to let those let those go on. Um, and uh, you can also uh, take a look at our page and listen to other episodes um, at honeyyoushouldwatchthis.podbean.com. Or you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, If you would like, please subscribe um, on any podcast uh, platform you're listening on. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcast, uh, won't you give us a rate and review? Um, Also reach out, slide into our DMs if there's something you want us to cover. Uh, if you are a, another podcast and you really like uh, films, uh, hit us up. Um, maybe we'll uh, we'll watch a film that you choose, and we'll you come on uh, and talk to us about it. So that's pretty much it. Just reminding you, you don't have to like a film to appreciate it, and that's what we are exploring here at Honey. You should watch this. Yeah, yeah. All right. Got my spiel down. Yes, you do. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.